You are Locked On Pirates, your daily podcast on the Pittsburgh Pirates, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Monday. This is Clear the Deck on Locked On Pirates, your Pittsburgh Pirates podcast of choice. I am Alex Stumpf, and my regular co-host, Jared Prugar, is skipping out on this one because, presumably, because I won the bet from last week. The Pirates finished with a 4-2 and two record, which is exactly what I projected. So I scored myself a free curve burger next time I go up to Altoona. Jared better not try to weasel out of that. Uh, taking his place today is the other main host here on... Locked on Pirates. It is Jason Rollison. Jason, how are you doing? I'm very good, Alex. Thanks for having me. And I, you know, I'm just going to go and say I think you upgraded <laughs> from a Jared to a Jason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, less syllables, more more punch. Mm. So, like I said at the top of the show, four and two this week. Uh, take two out of three in Chicago. Take two out of three in Miami. Those two losses were pretty ugly, but. Four wins, I mean, four and two road trip. You take that 10 times out of 10. Yeah, absolutely. And you hear a lot about people, you hear a lot from people this year saying, you know, so far saying, yeah, if they stay at this at this clip, they'll win, you know, 100 games. No, that's not going to happen. But, yes, anytime you can take four out of six games, no matter the opponent, no matter the style, no matter the result, I think you'll sign up for that 100 times out of 100. Yeah, and – Whenever you see a team respond after two ugly losses in a three-game stretch, both times, it's encouraging to see. They won in very different ways. After they lost to the Cubs, they pile on, I think, what was it, six, seven runs against the Cubbies to beat beat them in game three there. And then they lose ugly against Miami, and they win one nothing on a Corey Dickerson bunt, of all things. I mean... <laughs> where the bullpen tosses three shutout innings, and even though J-Mo didn't have his A game, still tosses six shutout. It's it's encouraging to see this team win in different ways. Yeah, and I think you're going to see that a lot with this team this year. Um, when we did the various uh, projection, prediction pieces out there, whether it be on Pirates Breakdown or on LockdownPirates.com, you know, a lot of us said, you know, this team is going to win some games it shouldn't. It might have to find weird ways to win. And that was on display this week for sure. Uh, I don't think anyone would ever thought Corey Dixon would have a game-winning or what would turn out to be a game-winning run come in on a bunt. I just think that's just absurd and, and asinine, to be quite honest. But as I tweeted at the time, right after that game, the Pirates, at least the 2018 Pirates, are going to have these kind of games, I, I truly feel. I think that um, there's going to be some games where maybe they shouldn't win that they do, and conversely, there's going to be games where they should win but they don't. You can chalk that up to youth in certain spots. You can chalk that up to... You know, although this is less of a concern for me now, you know, some people still think there's quite a talent gap between this club and others in the NL Central and beyond. So whatever your, whatever your reason, the Pirates are definitely going to win games they shouldn't and lose games they shouldn't either. And I think that's going to make it for an exciting season at the very least. Yeah, and on the Dickerson bunt, I love the post-game comment whenever uh, Robbie at AT&T says, you know, why'd you bunt? He's like, well, I gave myself up for the team. You know, the team comes first. And since Dickerson is effectively replacing Andrew McCutcheon, I think you and me would both agree that if McCutcheon was in that same situation, first and third, tie game, nobody, scoreless game actually, top of the ninth, uh, one out, he's not bunting there. Now he could still get a game-winning hit or sacrifice fly or whatever, 
but there seems to be something more selfless, more team focused, more wholesome whenever the guy's like, I really don't care about my, at the time, eight game hitting streak. I was just trying to get that run home any way possible. Yes, and, and Dickerson's actions are the equivalent of warm apple pie and fireworks on the 4th of July. It was absolutely wholesome. That's a great word for it. And, yeah, I mean, what we're kind of hinting at, for those who haven't seen, is that uh, the clubhouse culture has definitely changed. If you need any proof of that, please feel free to look at Gregory Polanco or Felipe Vasquez's Instagram after a win. I encourage you to do so. Um, but also look at this team. They're having so much fun out there. And you're right. I don't think the Andrew McCutcheon or, you know, we could just say, you know, any, anyone, any other player as well over the past two or three years would not have done that. Um, and that kind of speaks to, you know, no one gave this team a chance to do anything serious this year. Everyone was more focused on off-the-field issues and the players on the field and what they can do. So what I think you're seeing is everyone is buying in at the right time, which is the start of the season to keep it going. Um, so I love to see it. I absolutely love it, and I think you're right. I think that wouldn't have happened in the years previous. Yeah, definitely check out the Polanco dance parties if you aren't already on Instagram. And I don't know what the equivalent of a retweet is on Instagram since I'm not on the <laughs> on the thing, but he's uh, retweeting or re-Instagramming whatever. Uh, like regular people watching the game and then doing dance parties afterwards just of fans. And it's it's becoming nice and it's fun to see people have fun with this team because there wasn't any fun the last two years. No, and it was beyond... You know, losing is no fun either. There was, you know, a constant cloud over Federal Street, and especially um, with the record compounds it and the uh, perceived lack of effort on the front office's part. But, you know, sunny days are ahead, and I think the, you know, the weather outside is still somewhat frightful, but sunny days are peaking, peaking their head around the corner if they haven't already in terms of actual, you know, baseball performance. Speaking of the front office, uh, Neil Huntington was – a lot more busy than your run-of-the-mill general manager for mid-August. Uh, basically, I don't want to say nuking his bullpen, but he's definitely <laughs> rearranging it. Uh, Josh Moker demoted Clay Holmes, who is just basically a warm body out there to maybe eat an inning or two at this point of his career. Also demoted up is uh, Richard Rodriguez and Kyle Crick, who came over in the McCutcheon trade. And... Uh, they also made a waiver claim for any Romino. Romino. Any Romino. I'm going to talk this time. It's not going to be like last week whenever I couldn't say any word I wanted. And it's any Romero. Let's just be clear. Romero. <laughs> any Romero. I cannot talk. See, that's a good trait to have whenever you have your own podcast mm-hmm. or share one with Jared. Yeah. So I guess I'll just say that I like bringing in any. I think he has a great combination of velocity and spin, and I actually tweeted out on uh, Saturday that there were only five relievers in baseball last year that threw 700 fastballs that went 95-plus mile per hour and had a spin rate that averaged 2,300 rotations per minute. And it was Knable, Kimbrell, uh, Archie Bradley, Blake Atiran, and then him. I mean, that's good company to be in. Yeah, that is very good company, and, and what I like about <clears throat> what Neil Huntington did is not that any Romero is some kind of um, band-aid for this bullpen. It's not a cure-all for what for what ails the Pirates Relief Corps by any means. But I like that Neil was a little more proactive than usual. Uh, I, I think we can all agree that we none of us would have been surprised if he would have just stuck with the guys in place, 
maybe made a move because Josh Smoker's performance is a little too hard to ignore, uh, but may have you know stuck with his guys a little just a little longer um, to see if it rounds out. And I, I really applaud the fact that he was a little more aggressive than usual and went out and found Romero, who look like I said is not a band aid for this relief core by any means, but he has the velocity. I happen to think he has a pretty good and interesting uh, pitch mix that he's gotten away from recently. Uh, last year and the year bef- and half of the year before, it was mainly all fastball. But he does have a great slider. And I've talked to some guys in DC Sports Radio who cover the team, and uh, they've told me that he does have a plus fastball and slider and closer type stuff, but the mentality and command are not there. Um, projects is kind of a late inning arm, and that's exactly what you want to grab a fly. If you can grab a flyer on someone who has the potential to be a late inning arm, you do it. The cost was minimal, of course. Um, just a waiver claim and have to send someone down and make a 40-man roster move. So why not? Start throwing stuff against the wall now and see what sticks rather than you know mid-May or early June, for sure. You see, I will admit I'm a little skeptical because I can't really think of any uh, Pittsburgh relievers that you know were lefties in Washington that they just kind of cast off, you know, that has a name that started with R and ended in row. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's weird. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's unusual, are. for sure. And you brought up uh, the team is being a little more aggressive. I think a lot of that has to do with them being 11-4. and four. If they were 4-11, and 11, conversely, I think maybe someone like Dovidas Nevaraskas, who looks like writing on the wall is the guy who's going to get demoted down the AAA oh, yeah. whenever Romero comes over, uh, they'd stick with him a little longer because they figured him figure him to be a long-term piece in this bullpen but you know you start off a little stronger than expected you can't i'm not saying they're going to deviate very far from the plan but maybe you're more willing to experiment with something early on in the year rather than just eh screw it it's not about 2018 it's about 2019 or 2020 yeah absolutely and i think romero kind of is the perfect um mix of let's do something now to get this will put in control and forward thinking a little bit. The guy is under control until 2020, 2022, excuse me. Um, so it's a good mix of that. And I, I really think that with the, with the uh, XFIP and ERA numbers and FIP numbers that we've seen from the bullpen so far, anytime you can also add some strikeout ability to kind of, you know, take the, take the bad ball out of play as much as you can. I think that's a smart move as well. Um, I think they're not done. Obviously, they called up Kyle Crick alongside uh, claiming Romero and brought up uh, Robert Rodriguez as well. Um, so is the, I'm not even sure if I have his name right. That's how that's how strange it is to that there's this guy just come out of nowhere. Richard Rodriguez. Richard Rodriguez, thank you. Robert Rodriguez is the director. Um, yes. You know, for my money, I, I, I liked the third uh, Desperado movie. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I can't uh, top uh, from dusk till dawn, but... <laughs> All right, fair enough, fair enough. But anyway, uh, you know, I like I like the proactiveness. I just keep coming back to that. And if you can add a little bit of strikeout ability while you're trying to fix your bullpen, that's a good thing too. So we're 15 games into the season, 11 and four. It's too soon, I think, to really take a lot of season stats into consideration. Like Polanco, who was just crushing the leather off the baseball for, you know, first couple days. His average dipped to 208 at some point on Sunday's game. So 
when should we take when does the small sample size argument just stop? Because I think we're getting close to there, but maybe about halfway. We need to play another 15, 16 games before I'm willing to say, no, this is about right. I have one stat for you that's going to make you believe that the time to throw out the small sample argument is here. All right. Um, Okay. And I'm going to pull it up now just so I have the exact uh, percentage because I want to underscore my point in a very good way. Okay. The Pirates threw, what is it, 15 games now? Yes. Already have 25% of their total batter F war than they did last year. Last year they had 11.4. I think they were second to last in the, in the National League to the Giants. This year they already have three, and that was before today's game actually. And the exact percentage is 26.3. So they've already amassed 26.3 of their entire F war from last year. And that alone tells me it's an approach thing is one of the reasons why they're they're off to such a great start offensively. I think they have guys in the right spots, especially starting Marte, who went 5-5 five five today. And Dickerson as well, those two in particular. And I, I just think it's, again, the clubhouse culture and the chip on the shoulder. So those three things, in my opinion, are kind of small sample size proof. And when you look at the war, F-war they've already amassed, what more do you need to know? Well, I take small sample size because 15 games you could, you know, head math, extrapolate all the stats and multiply it by roughly 10 then. And be like, okay, this person's going to, if he has 0.64 right now, he's going to finish with 6. I don't think that's fair yet. Because some of these guys, but basically everyone on offense got a great start. And I think, yes, they have over one-fourth of the F4 that they had last year. But it's going to slow down at some point. And I'm waiting for that slowdown, which I think will take at least until May 1st. Okay. Now, I hear you there, but let's say, okay, you said multiplying by, we're, we're roughly one-tenth of the way through the season. So yeah. if you multiply by 10, um, you'll get like, if, if, you're ma- if, if math had no, nothing that could affect it, it was just pure math, like you said. If you did multiply by 10, they'd be 30 F war, which would put them at the top of the National League last year. So let's cut that down and say if they do seven times the production they're doing now. Um, that would still be good for fifth in the National League last year, about you know whatever that is, twenty one F four or whatever. So, if if we, and by that I'm accounting for the slumps, I'm accounting for the dry spells, I'm accounting for pitchers getting better in warmer weather. But then you also balls will fly out a little better in warmer weather as well. So, it's of course it's 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 maddening for all of us who want to approach the game and analyze it in a in a smart way. Um, but. You know, I think there are certain things I see in this team that are sample size proof, and I'm going to stick by that. Thank you very little. <laughs> One thing that I hope isn't uh, sample size proof, or that we're just going to see the entire way, are these walk rates. I mean, Cervelli, 12%, Polanco, 14.8%. Uh, I mean, this is going into Sunday. It's not updated for today yet. Uh, Marte. 12.9, that's going to go down a little because he went 5 for 5, didn't draw a walk, but man, if he could even just walk 10% of the time, how much that would mean for this offense. It so, would really yeah. mean so much, I, I agree with you. And even Mercer and Bell, who aren't off to the best of starts, you know, they're still over 11% too. So, I don't know 
if that's really them being patient, I wrote for the point of Pittsburgh. You know, Marte is the type of guy who traditionally starts the year a lot more patient than he finishes it. As the course of 162 games goes on, he seems to get less patient at the plate. And that concerns me a little bit. And why I'm taking these small sample sizes with, you know, a grain of salt, I want to wait at least two or three more weeks before I could, if two or three weeks from now, Starling Marte still has a walk percentage around 12%. I'm willing to buy in that he's made a real change in plate discipline and that this could go on the entire year. And the same goes for Jordy Mercer or Josh. Jordy Mercer is a great example. Three or four games ago, he looked like he was going to Zach Kozar his way through the year. Now he has a bad series in Miami, and now it's roughly where he is throughout his career. Right. And that's the peaks and valleys of this game and why we love it so much over 162 games. Uh, just to go back to your point on Marte, um, getting a little little less strong in the, in the patience department as the season goes on. I'm looking at I'm looking at a uh, 2016 and you know the eye test tells you yeah that's absolutely right but I see that he drew um, five walks in August nine in July so he's done that before and, and granted this is just one year that I cherry picked out he's he's day. never walked ten times in a month no never this is likely going to be his first time yeah absolutely so <clears throat> I think that there's you know he's a maddening player in many ways because. You know, we've seen the town. We've seen the aloofness in the outfield at times. You know, oh, I'm just going to casually, I'm just going to casually pick someone off with a casual throw from left field to second, just casual, real casual, like you know, we've seen that kind of thing. Was it casual? It, <laughs> it was relaxed. So all right, all right. So um, the things you say while you wait for a page to load, right? Anyway, uh, so I think something about him is just from the eye test, which is a maddening thing to say, but. Something about him is more engaged this year, and I really think they have finally found not only the right place for him to hit in the lineup, he's hit in third before, but he's also now have the right pieces behind him. Um, you can debate back and forth with anyone you talk to about if lineup protection actually matters, but he has pretty capable hitters in front of and, and behind him, and this whole lineup as a whole is pretty long. So I think it's it's a perfect storm for him in particular right now. And look... If, if there's anything in baseball that can help starting Marte see more pitches uh, and maybe get on base a little more, so you know, so be it. The Pirates will take that you know, 100 times out of 101. Um, but he's going to have to show that it's not a fluke. He's not going to have to show that he can stay engaged over a full season. And, you know, he's shown us something close to that previously, but the jury's going to be out this year. So this is where we're going to be taking some predictions for this upcoming week of uh, series. Pirates are coming back home for the first series of this week, three games against the Colorado Rockies and to their benefit, uh, Nolan Arenado is uh, serving his five game suspension for the second best brawl of that day. <laughs> Whenever, uh, who is the pitcher for San Diego? Was that Renfro? I think so, but I'm not 110% sure. Yeah. Whenever he threw the, he hit the guy, he threw the glove at him, and then he started running away like a punk. I mean, not to condone, you know, beating or anything, but Joe Kelly for Boston, he did it the right way. He better throws down his bat, he starts walking at the plate, and he does the hand motion for bring it on. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's a, about 20 times better. Yeah, he pulled the Morpheus from the Matrix on that one, for sure. 
I, I feel like I feel like if you throw your glove, you need to stand there and explain yourself. You know. So. Yeah. Or at least take a punch. Yes. That you obviously deserve. Yes. So three games against the Rockies at home. Then they go to Philadelphia for four games. Philly's looking pretty good. I think he they were a somewhat popular sleeper pick to maybe compete for a wild card since they got Santana and Arietta and you know some young talent that's developing. Uh, I. They're on a hot streak, I guess. Gabe Kapler isn't letting the computer manage anymore, as Nick Williams would say. <laughs> yeah. So seven, letting seven his, games. His pitchers warm up. Yes. <laughs> How could you have that bad a first week on the job? I mean, <laughs> that's like that one. The, uh... I'm glad he won a couple games because knowing how Philadelphia is as a sports town and. You know, Eagles just won a Super Bowl. Villanova just won an NCAA championship. The Flyers are in the playoffs. I mean, <laughs> it could get ugly fast if they're the redheaded stepchild. The Sixers have what, what, like 17 in a row? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, They it's... look like maybe an NBA contender just because they have the hot streak. Yeah, Kapler reminded me of uh, that Simpsons where Homer's on the nuclear sub and he screws up and he goes, it's my first day. <laughs> like that's that's so that's so perfect here. I mean, if you would have got up there and said that at, the, at his post game press conference, I would have let him go. I would have let him off the hook. And then he finishes it off with a clerk's reference for "I'm not even supposed to be here today." <laughs> perfect. Okay, but three games at home against the Rockies, and then a four game series in Philadelphia. Predict them. Okay. Well, obviously the headline is that Nolan Arenado is going to miss at least uh, – you have to spot me here. Is it at least two of the games, or is it all the games, or what's all, the latest? He's missing all three. Okay. So that's the headline there. Of course, you still have um, the rest of the Rockies lineup, which – you know, depending stacked. On, yeah. I mean, Charlie Blackman right now. I mean, Ottavino – or not Ottavino. Um, LeMahieu. LeMahieu, yes, thank you. Uh, who is – you know, has always been a solid player. I like him a lot. He's been on – he's been a – a stalwart on some fantasy teams of mine, but this year he's, he's really taken another step up. Um, so anyway, the, the bigger point I wanted to make here is that um, the Rockies have a middle-of-the-pack bullpen, uh, 3.57 XFIP, which is good for, um, I think, sixth best in the National League. Um, the Phillies, on the other hand, have the fourth-worst XFIP in the National League with 4.09. Uh, conversely, the starting pitching... Um, the Phillies have the fifth best XFIP is from the starting units at 3.50. Rockies are a little more towards the bottom of the pack at the uh, 12th spot with 4.24. So the point I'm making here is it's going to be um, a couple of different approaches. You kind of want to, but the, it's going to be a couple of different strengths for each club. The Rockies and the Phillies can, each one has a good starting pitching unit, the other has good relief core. Uh, but the approach for the Pirates is going to be the same. Continue to grind out at bats when you can, be aggressive when you can, and try to wear that starting pitcher out, or at the very least make him work hard and get some stress innings in there. Um, and then for the Phillies, if you get to the bullpen, um, that's a good thing. For the Rockies, if you abuse some starting pitching, you'll you maybe be on to tack on enough runs at the beginning of the game that you can withstand your own bullpen's uh, flurry of trouble. So anyway, long story short, um, I like the Pirates to sweep the Rockies. I did say that. I think it's going to be, you know, a, a welcome homecoming to the club, for the club, and they're going to be energized by playing at PNC Park in front of what you hope is a more engaged crowd. 
And I'm going to call for a split of the Phillies series, surprisingly. I think Philly's playing really well, and I think there's some talent there. So I'm going to hedge my bets with the Rockies series and say they split the Phillies. So you're looking at a 5-2 and two record for the, for the week. What about you? I also have a split with the Phillies. I think they are low-key good. I'm not saying wildcard contender quite yet, but there's a lot of talent there. So on the road, four-game series, tough to win three, so I'll go two there. I'm going to say two out of three against the Rockies. Okay. Uh, there's just something about that lineup whenever – I'm thinking Wednesday's game, whenever Chad Cool's starting with all those lefties that it finally, you know, catches up to him. Yeah. Hey, another thing that, just, wanna... that seems like a recipe for disaster. <laughs> another thing I wanted to ask you, and I think now might be a good time to ask it, uh, because you mentioned that Wednesday game, which is a day game after a night game. How about Clint Hurdle not giving in to the Sunday lineup temptation or the abnormal amounts of rest uh, temptation? So what are your thoughts on that? Because that might come into play uh, with this day game after a night game you know, this week. Well, he did a pretty good job, I think, for the most part, for letting people sit, either in the people who really needed to sit, either in uh, Chicago or Miami, whether it's Jordy Mercer or Corey Dickerson or, unfortunately, Jay Hay. Now that he got hit in the hand with the pitch, we don't know his fate at the moment. But he's not going full Sunday lineup, it looks like. It seems like he's going to mix in one bench bat a game. I don't know if he's going to do that Wednesday also, because that's a 7 o'clock game at night and then a 12.30 in the afternoon. Maybe he doesn't, maybe he doesn't, but I like it's April. They're fresh. Use that to its to your advantage right now. If it was June, maybe you know ease up a little bit. But you don't have a full bench. Just go with what you have right now. Yeah, and I, I guess we would be derelict in our duties if we didn't talk a little bit about Josh Harrison right now. Um, yeah, the latest is according to a report from the AP is that he'll have further testing on Monday. Um, again, if this means anything to you, he was dancing in the clubhouse with the rest of his team after the win. Didn't look any worse for the wear. Didn't have a brace, wrap, uh, splint, whatever you want to call it, anything like that. So who knows? But let's let's play let's play devil's advocate here, Alex, and say if Josh Harrison, <laughs> I know what your answer is going to be, but let's play this dude anyway. If Josh Harrison has to miss uh, an extended amount of time, or even just to run the bill. <laughs> Max Moroff. Max Moroff. Okay. I, I need, Anticipation for your question. Yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't wait for me to spit it out in my long Well, I, was wait, I wanted you to keep going, and I gradually build it up. Ah. Right there. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's good. I like that you're uh, thinking of effects for this podcast now. But, uh, I mean, okay. So, <laughs> Moroff would get a call-up, but it's going to be some combination of Adam Frazier and maybe Sean Rodriguez, right? Playing the second base uh, position. They knowing Hurdle. Probably, and it's probably got to be a platoon, knowing him. I mean, Sean Rudd probably deserves some more consistent at-bats, and Frazier, I guess, for that reason, for that matter as well. But, man, if Harrison goes down, I have been in Max Moroff's corner for quite some time now, it feels like, and this is a rare starting opportunity for him. I would like to see him get four or five starts a week but unfortunately even though he had one of the highest ops among second basemen in the second half of last year 
and was one of the better defensive players overall on the team in terms of defensive run saves. He just can't get enough innings, it looks like. It's it's nice of you to have dreams like that. Yes. It really is. Um, look, I mean, Adam Frazier deserves to have a little bit of a longer run. If it is going to have, have to have Harrison be down for 10 days or so or more with a rehab stint. Um, to me, it's it's apples and oranges. I like what Harrison's done this year, but I really do think he's not the straw that stirs the drink by any means. Um, so I think Adam Frazier can maybe do a little bit different things for you. Um, he's having a great season for 28 plate appearances in 11 games. Um, 115 WRC plus uh, hasn't accumulated any uh, positive F4 yet. Um, you know, but he's doing his usual uh, decent walk rate, decent strikeout rate kind of thing. And, you know, I think he could do a lot worse. But I, if there's going to be a call-up to be had, which we think there would be because there have to be some depth somewhere, I think more off will come up. Maybe he'll get a, you know, 10 at-bats or so by the time Josh Harrison comes back again if he has to go on the DL. And uh, if nothing else, you know, it's good to come up and uh, good to have more off come up and get a taste, right? Yeah. yeah. Like I said, I just want him to get it. A- a fair shake because last year whenever uh freeze went down and harrison bounced over to third base they had a couple second basemen up here in gope uh hansen frazier i guess for that matter also at the time just kind of rotating and none of them really got their shot i i would rather them even stick with either frazier or sean rod then have another one of those three-man rotation type of deals. Yeah. Try to get some stabilizing consistency in the rotation, in the in the lineup. And if you're looking at non, I mean, and by the way, Max Moroff right now is having a great year with Indianapolis so far. What a surprise. <laughs> 25 it's almost like if you put a major league hitter in triple A, he's going to hit well. Imagine that. And uh, five home runs and 25 at-bats. Um so very nice. Uh, six walks. Uh, you know, so there's really, just like we say, there's uh, there's no chance it's not uh, Frazier. Uh, there's no chance it might be Max Moroff for the call-up, although they might want to get Jordan Duplau another look. He's been struggling in Indy a little bit. Um, yeah, maybe- but then you only have one backup middle infielder. Yeah, yeah. Good point by you there, but uh, – I'm with you. I'd like to see him get an extended run, but it's going to take an injury in this year's club for him to get that. A significant injury. Yeah. Again, if more, I mean, if Harrison's down for only 10 days, then Moroff will probably get caught up and pinch hit twice and then go in his merry way back to Indianapolis. But if there is a broken bone in the hand, which there are a ton of bones in the, in the human hand, I'm not exactly a doctor, but I know that much. If one of those broke, again, Harrison wasn't in a cast or splint or whatever post-game, but if memory serves me correctly, I probably shouldn't say this, so apologies if I if this is wrong, but I don't recall him being in a split after the game last September, whatever, yeah. he got hit in the head and broke. Yeah, he point. walked out without one, and then he came back the next day with a split. Good point. So, I mean... It's way too early to see. It's all just speculation. <laughs> and that, my friends, is the curse of uh, the early season. And when you too small a sample size, too small a sample size, <laughs> even with injuries, right? Somehow, some way, yes, yeah. Somehow, some way, life uh, uh, finds a way. 
Mm-hmm. It always does. Well, I think we've taken up enough time today. I think so, too. It's been fun sitting in Jared's uh, seat here, keeping it warm for him. Um, the dude and his Curve Burgers, um, I'm surprised he's going to buy you one. He he would buy them all if he could. I'm ready for it. I've never had one, so I'm excited. Oh, the, the if dude, it's one-tenth as good as he says it is, it's got to be one of the better hamburgers of my life. He is the Billy Mays of Curve Burgers. He will sell those <laughs> things to anyone who will pull up a chair and listen to him talk. He could sell it to a vegan. He could. He could. He absolutely could. Thank God I'm not one. <laughs> Me too. All right. Well, thank thank you again for listening. For Locked on Pirates, this has been Alex Stumpf and Jason Rollison with Clear the Deck. <laughs>